Second reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who, became pre- who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me encourage you, if you're tempted to close Hebrews 7, to um, resist that temptation. Keep it open. Uh, we're going to be looking at it a little more closely now. Uh, not sure if people at the back feeling brisk. No response. If we close those inside doors, that'll keep people cosy and warm. Um, if you get too cosy, though, uh, it's, a, um, it's a difficult passage. There's lots of strange people and strange concepts. Uh, your eyes probably glazed over as we read it. Uh, so if you get too cosy, um, you know, stand up and reopen those and let the gush of air come and wake us up. 
More important, though, to keep us awake as we hear the word of God is his spirit. So why don't we pray that God might speak to us. Lord and Father, we thank you that uh, your word is living and active. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you for the way that it refines and changes us, that we might become more and more like your son. Uh, Father, this day we ask you would be doing that even now, uh, that you would be showing to us where we think and act wrongly, that we might change uh, to become more and more like Jesus. And Father, fill us with joy this day in the wonder of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Uh, We pray that uh, in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 gives a a beautiful insight into the human experience. It might be on your screen. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He, God, has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We've got a complex relationship with change. Uh, We we see the beauty of new things. Uh, We see the beauty of seasons passing, uh, of fashions that, you know, were beautiful in their time, but, you know, who still wants to be seen in certain, you know, 1970s colours? Fashions fade to obscurity. And at the same time, eternity is in our hearts. You know, we've a longing for... Uh, something that lasts, something that's reliable, something that will overcome the fads and decay and death that we also experience. Uh, and yet, uh, human experience alone, we, we just can't comprehend it. We can't understand it fully. You know, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternally in the hearts of men. And yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, that verse makes sense of that love-hate relationship we have with our disposable culture. Uh, Giles Slade is an American. He wrote a book, Made to Break. Uh, It's a history of the North American obsession with new things and the consequences of being obsessed with it. Uh, He wrote this. uh, Deliberate obsolescence in all its forms, technological, psychological or planned, is a uniquely American invention. Now, I don't want to be bashing Americans. Uh, Not only did we invent disposable products ranging from diapers to cameras to contact lenses, but we invented the very concept of disposability itself. I'm not sure it is uniquely American. Um, If we manage to translate diapers to nappies, um, then suddenly it could describe Australia. See, we love the new, don't we, and we throw out the old. Um, Our TV works, and yet we still go and buy a new one. The solution to the economic crisis is that we go shopping with a cheque from Kevin Rudd. Consume, consume, get more and more. And at the same time, we long for what lasts. We love the new, but we hate how things don't last, how things break. Uh, So we just replaced a washing machine recently and we paid for the extended warranty under the advice of the tradie because the last one died in under two and a half years. What I really want, though, is a machine that's going to last Perhaps more deeply, what we really want is the security offered by what lasts, what's eternal. Perhaps it's because we worry about our own disposability, how frail our own lives are, how quickly our contributions are forgotten, how sin actually leaves us unworthy of a positive future, that we worry and we long for what can last. See, eternity is in our hearts, even as we admire the beauty of the seasons and the new. At a recent community lunch, I sat next to a guy who had been married for over 70 years. Uh, 70, yeah, married. And the the wonder of its longevity. Hallelujah indeed. Thanks, Christine. 
the wonder of its longevity only made it sadder that death had separated them. Now, what, what Hebrews 7 offers us is the comfort of the eternal because of what Jesus does even now. So, you know, that, that, that the reliability of an eternal solution to our deepest problem is what Hebrews 7, strange as it seems on first reading, is throwing out to us. It ploughs deep into a discussion about priesthood, but I want us to focus again on those verses, um, some of which I gave to the children this morning. Verse 24 and 5. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore he is able to save completely or save absolutely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You know, if there's anything a disposable culture needs or disposable people like you and me need, is this certainty that Jesus is and will be forever the place where we can get salvation and secure our eternity, that we can get access to God. How Hebrews expands on this is probably a little strange to our our, uh, hearing. Um, He deals with a couple of problems that the first readers would have had rattling in their minds but probably don't mean anything to us. Uh, Problem one, uh, Jesus is from Judah, that is the kingly line. So how can he be a legitimate priest? Did you notice that in verse 13? Um, He whom these things are said belongs to a different tribe. No one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. It is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So two weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 5, and we looked at um, Jesus and his mediating work as a priest, uh, and how... Jesus listens sympathetically to us and therefore God listens to him and so we're actually heard. And when we looked at that passage, um, I didn't get any comment cards. Uh, not surprisingly, no one raised with me the problem that, hang on, Jesus isn't a Levite. You, know, you just said he's, he's been acting as a, and he's not a Levite. Um, no, I didn't get that at all. Um, and I suspect when we read that, you didn't think twice about that issue because it's a non-issue for us. But... The established Old Testament system actually only allowed a Levite to serve at God's altar. Not even all the Levites were allowed to do it. Only the high priest was allowed to do it. Uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he attempted uh, to act as both priest and king and he lost his dynasty because of it. God cast him away. Jesus is from Judah. He's, He's not from Levi. He's from the kingly line. And for people who first heard this, who are emerging out of Judaism, there's a reasonable fear. You know, how, how can God represent, how can Jesus represent me acceptably to God? Because if he can't, I'm wasting my time following him. You know, Scott's question at the start, is it better being a Christian? Well, for them, if Jesus can't represent me, no, it's not. There's no benefit getting off the Titanic to, to jump on a lifeboat riddled with holes. You know, we, we might not think like you know, tribal Israelites, but we can certainly grasp onto the stupidity of holding on to false hope. You know, if, if you have given up anything to follow Jesus, if you've given up any freedom, any relationship, any opportunity, any of your wealth, as these first readers had, then you want to know that it really does bring acceptance before God to go through Jesus. But there's a deeper problem he exposes, deeper than just where Jesus came from. The uh, second problem is that Levitical priesthood never really worked anyway. It could never properly deal with sin. The system was already broken. Uh, Verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, 
from the basis of the law, uh, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. And verse 18, the, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And verse 23, now there have been many priests, uh, many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. See, the, the deeper reason for not going to the usual priest is they're systematically just ruined. It's a weak, useless, repetitive system. The Levitical priesthood represented, I suppose, the worst of bureaucracy. You know, bureaucracy where you're kind of filling out paper, paperwork, paperwork, paperwork and never actually gets you anywhere and the person you're dealing with then kind of changes jobs or something and so you have to start again and you do it. And it just goes on and on and on. You know, I heard this week of a, a UN worker in uh, Afghanistan. His role was studying the causes uh, for why uh, people are growing opium uh, and poppy, seed, well, poppy seeds to opium and heroin. Uh, he's gone in there to do the research. He thinks he's doing a, a really great job until uh, his translator um, actually told him what the locals were saying about him, how they thought he was a fool, uh, like he dressed like them and, and he asked them the same questions that the guy before and the guy before and the guy before that had all asked and nothing ever changed. Uh, it was just a waste of time. He was a little kind of surprised to hear that's how they thought of him but that's, that's Levitical priesthood. You know, it's again and again going through the same system and it never really dealt with anything. Even today, people try and deal with their problems of sin by you know, turning over a new leaf. You know, as if, first of all, they could wipe away the guilt of everything wrong they've done in the past. Even if it could, if you've ever tried a New Year's resolution, you'll know just, you know, it doesn't create any real change, does it? You know, maybe a week into January, at best, you might make it to the start of February. But then it's back again. So if you and I are going to have assurance about eternity, we, we actually need systematic change. Here's the solution. For people who are, who are disposable people who long for eternity, we have Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, there's not a lot said in the Bible about Melchizedek. We, we read, Tim read for us earlier, uh, sorry, Liz read for us earlier, the first one in Genesis. Uh, that's pretty much his big mention. Uh, he gets another mention in Psalm 110, uh, which we have quoted here in verse 17. But, but the writer's using him as an illustration to explain just how great Jesus is and how we have a system that's really going to work. He deals with the two problems. You know, remember problem one, he's not a Levite, so is he legitimate? Well, the solution, in Melchizedek, there's already an established pattern of priests that aren't from Levi. Um, there's a weird kind of flow of logic there in uh, the start of 7. But basically, verse 2, Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. Uh, he was the, the king of righteousness and peace. And the writer makes a big deal of how in verse 3 he was a priest king without a father and a mother. Now, we've got to be careful at this point. He's not saying that he was some kind of magical, mystical, mythical creature. He's making more about his office than him as a person. In other words, mostly, most priests you trusted because you knew the family they came from. They came from the right genealogical line. So I could trust them. His point here is, Melchizedek, we don't know his family, and yet God said he's a legitimate priest. Now, it's possible, by God's word, to actually trust a priest who didn't come from Levi. There's a pattern already seen. 
And so in verse 20 to 22, the big deal he makes of it is how Jesus is a priest established not by his family line, but by the word of God, by an oath. And God's word should be trusted. The second problem, the bigger problem, the deeper problem, how the old priesthood did nothing, it was flawed. Well, Jesus is, is greater. In verse 4 to 10, Melchizedek was greater because in a collective way of thinking, uh, Levi had been paying the tenth, paying the tribute to this Melchizedek. He's a greater one. But, but Jesus is greater not because Levi pays him. Jesus is greater because he defeats death. He defeats death. That's what marks Jesus' priesthood above Levi's. You know, see, death always got in the way with Levi. You know, that was the problem that, that each priest would come but they'd have their own sin to deal with. They couldn't actually fix things up for us. But the eternal, uh, timeless, ongoing nature of Jesus' work, his legitimate work, is what's at stake. So at the end of verse 3, he remains a priest forever. In verse 16, Jesus has become a priest not on the basis of uh, regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And again in verse 22, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many priests since death prevented them continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. And there right again at the end of verse 28, the son who has been made perfect forever. For people who struggle with the disposability of life, we want something that can last forever. What Jesus is offering, what Jesus has done, is that we can have access to God eternally because of him, because he still lives. He's no longer dead. Verse 24, uh, sorry, verse 25. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, eternity is in our hearts. We long for that. But only in Jesus can we actually overcome our disposable nature. Only Jesus is able to save absolutely those who come to God through him because he is still alive today. The resurrection is not something just in the past. It's not something we look forward to just in the future. The fact that Christ is alive even now, standing as our high priest, um, has significant impact for how we act even now. Four implications for us that I want us to remember. They'll be quick, hopefully. Hopefully you can remember these four implications that Jesus, uh, being alive, bring to us. One is we've got to keep presenting Jesus as our access point to God. Last week, the, the part of Hebrews challenges us to go on to maturity, uh, to mature as Christians individually and as a church. And, and maturity requires change, and change is going to be always uncomfortable. If we're going to take that seriously, as hopefully last week we did, uh, then it's going to mean we're going to be uncomfortable. And if we're going to be uncomfortable, wouldn't it be good to make sure we're uncomfortable in the right way? rather than pointlessly uncomfortable. 
We need to work out the difference between uh, the things that are fashionable and fading and the things that are essential and eternal. So the songs that we sing may fade in fashionability. Uh, The language that we use to express the truth about Jesus may have to evolve so that people can understand what we're actually saying to them. We we may need to change at points, but how do we work it out? Well, it revolves around presenting Jesus as the access point to God. We've got to keep presenting that. No matter what changes we go through, we've got to change so that Jesus is clearly seen. So uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy uh, that the word of Christ should be preached in and out of season. Uh, By that, he's recognising, yep, things change, circumstances change, even people's desire to hear about Jesus is going to change. And so we've got to change the way that we present him, but we never stop presenting him. So in the Methodist revival in the 18th century, people got out on the, uh, you know, they were locked out of their own churches, so they went out into the fields and they preached Jesus. Uh, I'm not necessarily persuaded that us standing on a soapbox at the corner of Bly Street is the best way to present Jesus to people today. But we need to keep thinking how we're going to do that. You know, I, I'm a technological Luddite. Uh, I don't know much about modern technology. Uh, but I do, I do really appreciate the way people are working at things like the internet to, to try and make Jesus clearly heard to others. Yeah, maybe you have to think a little more creatively, take a bit more initiative to present Jesus clearly to your co-workers, your neighbours who stopped wanting to listen. Preach him in and out of season because he is the only one who is able to save. We have to keep presenting him. Flowing from that, secondly, we've got to keep presenting him as the only way. Jesus saves absolutely. He saves completely. He doesn't need help. We need to make sure that we're not looking to, to Jesus plus anything else to secure salvation. I think one of the benefits of the, the financial crisis recently is it's been good to show to us and to others that we're not saved by Jesus plus our money. Our money's unreliable. The strength that we, need, that we, we draw on in times of need is, is just Jesus. Isn't that a great word for our culture, <laughs> that there is actually something reliable? Yeah, and we're not saved by Jesus and our goodness. Yeah, we never move away in, in the years of following Jesus from that one prayer that the tax collector prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's always our prayer. You know, we keep presenting Jesus as the only way people get to God. The writer of Hebrews is, is writing because he's worried there are people who are who are wanting to slide back and have a bit of Jesus with their Judaism. Uh, even today, we, we need to make sure that we remove anything that makes people think that it's Jesus plus something else. You know, if, if we're giving the impression that we get to God through you know, Jesus plus ordained ministers like me or Paul, we need to change that. If we're giving the impression that we do it through worship leaders and praise, well, we need to change that. Um, our community, I, I love our morning teas. They're often of a high standard. Um, it's great that we're able to stay around and enjoy each other's company, but we mustn't think that being part of this community is actually the way we get to God. We get to God through Jesus and him alone. Third thing is we need to rejoice in his ongoing work. The sense of the word save there in verse 25 is not something that happened in the past, but it's an ongoing activity. 
Yeah, it's true that he did sacrifice himself once for all, as it goes on to say, uh, and that our, our salvation is secure. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't go into retirement. He didn't find some kind of nice coastal spot in uh, a section of the heavenly realms and you know, put his shingle out and stop doing things. You know, G- Jesus is continuing to intercede for, for us on our behalf. Day by day, hour by hour, Jesus is there praying for us. One of the more painful uh, recognitions uh, of not being as close to people that I have is, is when I shift them on my prayer list. Now, I don't know if you're a prayer list kind of person. I am. helps me remember to pray for people. Uh, and there are, I suppose, people whom, you know, over time I'm not seeing as much and so I, I kind of put them on the list where I pray less often for them. Uh, and the really sad time is when you get to that thing of, I haven't seen that person in a decade. I've got no idea what they're up to. Uh, and so I kind of stop praying completely. What's remarkable here is that that Jesus bothers to intercede and pray for us, for you, in all your exposed frailty that he sees. For those of us who who fear for our own disposability, this is a wonderful affirmation of how much Christ loves and values you. There's a beautiful prayer in John 17 where Jesus prays not just for himself and his disciples but all who will believe. And he keeps praying for us, you and I. Salvation isn't something that happened in the past or will happen in the future. It's it's even now Christ is saving us, holding on to us, praying for us. Fourth, and and ultimately we need to trust God's word. The whole new system is one we, we can't trace back through family lines that Jesus is legitimate. And so we've got to go back and trust God's word alone. The comfort we have is that God doesn't lie. If he said this is a way to get to him, then we can trust it. We won't be disappointed. We who are so used to disposable, frail, breaking things where people don't keep their word, the comfort here is trust God's word because when he makes an oath, it lasts. It's reliable. Here's the comfort of the eternal. Fads come and go, we're fading, we're decaying and yet we can hang on to what lasts forever because Jesus can save absolutely. He'll deal with all our sins for all time. Often after hearing God's word we, uh, we have the opportunity to, to respond by reflecting. Uh, we do quiet prayer. As Scott's already flagged to us, we, we pull out those response slips and make questions or comments or prayer requests. Um, I think they're good ways to respond. Two dangers though with that. One is it's, it's really passive. It really asks nothing of us. Uh, the other problem, it can reinforce um, our individualism, that it's just about my response to God and, and not our response to God. Uh, so this morning we're going to have time to reflect, uh, but we're also going to respond actively and as a community. Um, after we have some time to reflect, we're going to hand out some bread and wine. Uh, and we're going to show our trust in the oath that God made Uh, by declaring what we believe uh, in the Nicene Creed. We're going to say what we believe. We're going to share in remembering what Jesus has done for us. A once-for-all sacrifice that means we can have eternity secured. It's a bit more active than our normal response. And I want to say, for some of you, you may not be ready uh, to do a kind of active expression of your faith in Christ. You're not in a position to say, I'm in fellowship with the other people here. I want to say, that's fine. 
you are still really, really welcome at church. Uh, but just feel free to sit there quietly. Don't, don't take the bread and the, the wine. Uh, There's actually some grape juice as well if you prefer that when it comes around. But if you don't feel comfortable to take that to that active step, can I ask you, come and speak to me afterwards uh, about where you're at with Christ even now. Uh, we have an eternal access to God. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray and give thanks for that before we respond by taking the Lord's Supper. Lord and Father, we thank you uh, that as things around us fade, uh, we have the work of Christ that's even going now. We thank you that he is alive and because he lives, he is able to intercede for us that we, we too might have life. Father, help us to hang on to uh, Jesus as our only access to you and help us to make that clear to those around us and help us to delight in the joy it is to know that Jesus is so concerned for us that he prays for us even now. Father, as we come to share in uh, remembering his death on our behalf, enable us not only to see the reality of our sin, but the reality of sin's defeat in what Jesus has done. We pray this in his name. Amen.